Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph brings a message entitled, You Don't Have to Be Stuck with a Loser. And now, let's join Pastor Ralph. Tonight we're talking about you don't have to be stuck with a loser. And there's a couple of different angles that this message is going to take. The scripture is very pointed. It's very blunt. We're going to look at three scriptures. It's another one of those times when the scripture has so much power to it that I don't have a great deal that I need to even say. And uh, I think you'll get it. The first part stock talks about stick with a Christian. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Can it be more blunt? If you're a Christian, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. This is talking about marriage, but this would apply to a business partnership. I talked to a man today who told me about starting a business, it being successful, and then him losing it to the partner he brought into the partnership, and then the guy stole the business away from him. There's a woman that I know that started a very successful business. She married a man that at that time wasn't a Christian. Uh, He ended up taking the business away from her and then divorcing her. But the basic deal is, no matter how good this person is, it says don't team up with unbelievers simply because they have a different value system than you do. And there's going to be struggles if you're living with two opposed value systems. It says, how can goodness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be with Christ and the devil? It's really pointing out there are two world systems. There's God's system and there's Satan's system. And people are living under one system or the other. And how can you live out God's purposes? It says, how can a believer... I I wrote a little A where it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And I underlined it. I wrote a B in my Bible where it says, how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Here's the deal. You'll never achieve true partnership. I mean, God wants you to be partners physically. God wants you to have a good sex life in a marriage. He blesses that. God wants you to be partners emotionally. He wants you to become friends, best friends. My wife is still recovering from cancer. She's not feeling real, real strong. I've been going through some struggles. Uh, she came up here tonight so we could just go to dinner. And then she went back home. I was here all afternoon. I came to dinner. We went out, we hung out. We're friends. We're friends. But there's a partnership that goes even deeper than that, and that's something that's spiritual. There's something that God does deep down inside of you. And you, a believer and an unbeliever, simply cannot be partners over spiritual things. This is very blunt, very pointed. You get the picture? Hmm? And you know, here's a little, little word of advice. If you stand for something, people will respect you. If you stand for nothing, they won't. I remember the day, a long time ago, I mean, probably 1973, I was 26, 27 years old. This very tall, very beautiful, red-headed Irish girl from Boston came to our church that Sunday and accepted the Lord as her Savior that Sunday. Afterwards, stayed around church. The church is so small, there's like 50, 60 people probably going at this time. And says, can I talk to you a little bit? And I said yes. And she tells me that she's living with a man who's not a believer He's, he's, his, his dad is Jewish, his mom is Italian, so he's got a Catholic parent, a Jewish parent, and he's an agnostic. And, uh, and this terrible, he's got a terrible wreck of a history in, in his marital life and all of this. And, and uh, 
what should I do? I've, I've just asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and, and uh, what should I do? And I said, basically, the Bible says you're not supposed to be joined together with an unbeliever. You, you, this is hard to hear, but you ought to break up with him. She went home, broke up with him, and two days later, this fire-eating monster is in my office on his lunch hour, trying his best to gobble me up. And we sat and, and just went head-to-head, and he likes to argue, and I like to argue, and we yelled at each other. I mean, we yelled. He, he's from New York. We yelled. <laughs> and after he had to go back to work, I, I walked him out to the, to the front lawn of the church and, and kind of said goodbye. And he shook my hand and he said, you know, I like you. <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> and then he told me how mad he still was. Well, here's the next few things that sequenced in his life. About a month later, he came to a potluck dinner we had at church, and an ex-doper, biker, hippie guy came up and put a bear hug on him and broke his heart. And he shows up in my office three days later, and he said, nobody ever hugged me with that kind of love before. I want to accept your Lord. And he became a Christian. The next thing I remember about him is the Apollo 13 deal when the astronauts are stuck going around the moon. This is the man that figured out how to bring them back. He's a brilliant scientist. The next thing that I remember is the last time he called me. He's one of my lifelong best friends. We've been together ever since. I married him to his wife, Cheryl. If she hadn't stood for something, he would have never respected her Christianity. He would have taken advantage of it, and he would have left her someday. Because she made the painful decision, and she stood for something. Well, they have this beautiful, beautiful family. He's an elder in his church. He's a leader in his church, and he's just one of my best friends ever. God's Word works. Are you with me? Well, let's go to the next part. It says, stick with your partner. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. One book back, one chapter forward. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 to 15. By the way, 1 Corinthians 7 is like the marriage manual of the New Testament, or one of them, there's several here. It says... Now, in this part, stick with your partner. This means, what if you married somebody already and they're not a Christian? And you are. Or what if you are married to somebody and you became a Christian and your partner didn't? Should you leave them because of the Lord? No, the first part says, don't marry somebody who's not a Christian. The second part says, if you're married to somebody who's not a Christian, stay married to that person. Verse 12. Now, for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or go back to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a Christian man has a wife who is an unbeliever and she's willing to continue living with him, I wrote an A here, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. Again, very clear, stay in it. But you're going, I thought you were going to tell me how not to be stuck with a loser. And I got one at home. (laughs) Verse 14 says, The Christian wife brings, and I underline this, holiness to her marriage. And the Christian husband, I underline this, brings holiness to his marriage. What does that mean? You bring the presence of God into your home. And you bring the possibility of God's grace doing things that are wildly beyond our greatest expectations. And then it says, and I wrote a C here and underlined this, Otherwise, your children will not have a godly influence, but now they are set apart for him. 
If you stay, you bring the godly influence to your children, and your children remain set apart for God. You go get a divorce, and now you start to have a tug-of-war over your children, and your, your spouse will not tolerate you bringing the gospel into the life of your children. I know several people right now that are members of our church that are struggling with that they're divorced from somebody who's not a Christian, and they, they get the kids, they get custody on the weekends, and they don't know what in the world to do because their non-Christian partner is like going to court to keep them from bringing their children to church on Sunday. And I swear to you, if they were still living together and they were still married, they would be fighting over this, but they would be bringing those children to church, and they would be bringing them up in the Lord. And it says here, uh, because you'll stay, your children will have a godly influence in their life, and they will be, notice it says, set apart for him. And here's the fourth part. I put D here in my Bible. If the husband or wife isn't, who isn't a Christian insists on leaving, what's it say? Let him go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is not required to stay with them, for God wants his children to live in peace. If you are, are, are in there trying, and you're willing to stay, and they're willing to stay, stay. If they decide to leave because of your Christianity, not because you started to treat them obnoxiously, but because of your Christianity, then let them go, and you're under no obligation, and go ahead and move on with your life. God is not a legalist here. He's a realist. He's saying, stay in the situation and give me a chance to change it. And if you give me a chance to change it, in the meanwhile, I'm going to do good things in your kids. But if the person leaves you, they left you, and you go forward and get on with the rest of your life. Is this making sense? Again, it's, it's very plain. It's very bold. It's not meant to be rulesy. It's just meant to be common sense. It's just meant to be figure it out. We're in a spiritual world, and there's spiritual warfare going on in this world. And God wants to, to score some victories in your life and in the life of that person that you love. So now, now back all the way up with me to where I started out, where it says, don't join together with an unbeliever. I'm not even saying don't love that person. I'm saying take a stand for your faith and make the stand count. And there's a very good chance of them becoming converted and you being married to them. But wishy-washy around and compromise your faith and you're going to have nothing but disrespect all the rest of your life. Make sense? Now let's look at the third part of this. This is oh oh let me let me just share something. Somebody sent me an email. I sent my wife an email through the church, and um, uh, you, you'll remember we I got my wife up here and we shared a little bit of a story about our marriage. Uh, remember about it was I don't know when it was Mother's Day or Easter Sunday or whenever we started this series. And my wife has just come through cancer and she's she's just in the process of you know not wearing the wigs anymore and all that. And I was real proud. But part of our story is that when I was a young man. And we were early married. We were, well, we weren't all that early married. We were about 10, 10 years into our marriage. This happened about 27 years ago. I began to get emotionally involved with another woman. And I was wrong. I sinned. I didn't get physically involved, but I got involved. And my wife had to deal with that. And she clearly thought about dumping this loser. And she decided to stay and stick it out and trust the Lord. And we talked about that that day in church. And and how God has blessed our marriage and blessed our family ever since. And this person writes, Dear Mrs. Moore, I was listening online to the Easter sermon. In this sermon, you came on and shared your testimony. First of all, I'd like you to know that since hearing of your breast cancer, I'll be praying for you. Secondly, I'd like to tell you our story. The person goes on and says they were raised in a Christian home, but they walked away from the Lord in certain areas of their life, especially when it came to dating. Tells where they were raised, the church they grew up in. Uh, In fact, at age 18, I even went to Maui and Oahu on a mission trip with a Christian singing group. However, I ended up marrying a non-Christian. I knew I was being disobedient, but I loved him. 
I, was, I don't find fault with my husband. I was the one who was disobeying. He was just doing what the rest of the world was doing. When you spoke about if you had left Ralph at that time in my life, all the things would be different. I thought I'd let you know that my husband accepted the Lord in 1987 at Hope Chapel. She, she stuck it out, this lady did, with her husband. If you'd left, he is one of the people who wouldn't have been reached. Thank you for staying. Even though he wasn't a Christian, one of our first dates was to Hope Chapel to view the Focus on the Family video series. When he accepted the Lord, our lives didn't get easier. In fact, it got harder. Satan did his best to destroy my husband. He was a drug user. It got out of hand. He was involved with another woman during this time, too. It was during this time that people at Hope Chapel helped me to, to make the correct decision. My husband got help for his drug use. I, too, wanted out, but God told me to stay. He's blessed me beyond measure. We did leave the South Bay Area, and we've lived in the high desert for 14 years now. So this is stuck. We're actively involved in a church here. We have six children whom we homeschool. In fact, my husband played Jesus this Easter in our Easter cantata. He did a wonderful job, and to think that this man was once a drug addict. Though we love our church, we still miss Hope Chapel. It was and is a wonderful, unique church that God has used to bless us so much. And she goes on and tells a story about these people are actually thinking about going into the ministry at this late date in their life. Now, here's the point of that. If you'll obey God, you'll bless. If you'll obey God, you'll make something beautiful out of something that is certainly less than beautiful. Does this make sense? Well, let's go on and go to the next part here in Matthew chapter 7, the first 12 verses. And this part I called, Stop Judging Your Partner. This is sort of uh, how, how to live with your partner. If your partner's a Christian and you're going, they're really a chump. How did I get married to this person? If your partner's a non-Christian and you're, you're struggling over spiritual issues that you would struggle over if you married a non-Christian, whatever, here's how to allow God to change that relationship. It starts out, I put an A in my Bible, it says, Stop Judging Others. Now, read the rest of it with me. We're going to come back and talk about that. Stop judging others and you will not be judged. For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others will be used to measure how you are judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have that log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log from your own eye and perhaps you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, this is just talking about friendship. But apply it to a marriage. Stop judging others. Just stop judging others. Stop criticizing them. If you're married to a non-Christian person and you're a Christian and, and you're, you get all upset about the decisions they make, they're simply living out their faith. If they believe there is no God or they're arrayed against God or whatever, they're simply living out their faith and you're judging them won't do you any good. You're criticizing them won't do you any good. You're nagging them, won't do you any good. That'll drive them far away from God. It won't bring them to God, and it won't make a whit of difference. You see, worrying and nagging and judging are entirely different than praying. If you want to change somebody, bless them, be kind to them, and pray for them. Here's the second part. It's verse 6. B, I wrote, don't give what is holy to unholy people. Don't give what is holy to unholy people. Now, the, but the Bible goes on. He's very graphic. And he says, don't give pearls to swine. That means pigs. Don't give pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. You wouldn't give something that's a precious jewel or something to an animal because the animal wouldn't appreciate it. Right? At the same time, he says, and the point he's trying to make is, don't give something that's holy to you to someone that's unholy. In other words, if my partner doesn't love the Lord and I'm married to them, 
and I, and, and I come home and, I, and I, I, I want to dump all of whatever I'm getting from God all over in their laps, it's not going to be appreciated. In fact, it's going to drive them further away from God. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Don't press them. Don't nag them. We heard a testimony last week about a lady who, who their life was a wreck and she finally came and surrendered her life to the Lord, got everything right with the Lord. And he, he came home. He'd, he'd actually left her to, to get away from her for a while. And he came home and he, and, he, and, he, and he said, who's this wonderful woman in my house and what did you do with my wife? And she had changed that much. But then she left a little mystery there. She left it for him to figure out what was going on. She told him about God and that God had changed her life, but then she, she let it go. She let him have to dig for it. She didn't press him with it. So don't take holy things and try to... Can I say it this way? Ralph's translation of Scripture. Don't take holy things and try to ram them down the throat of an unholy person. Respect them. Leave them alone. Here's the third thing. Verse 7. It says, Keep on asking and you'll be given what you ask for. It goes on and talks about it. It says, keep on looking, you'll find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. And he goes on and talks about God only will give you good things if you ask for good things. But here's the point. Keep on asking and you'll be given what you ask for. You're not asking if you're married to a non-Christian person or you're married to a person that's not living a godly life and, and they're kind of a loser. Don't, it doesn't say keep on nagging. It doesn't say keep on arguing. It doesn't say keep on picking on them. It doesn't say keep on picking fights with them. It says keep on asking. What's it saying? Keep on asking God. And I think you do this two ways. I think you do it quietly. You don't make a big scene out of it. And I think you do it specifically. Sometimes, I, I, I think it sometimes pays to, to pray for somebody that they'll lose their job. Or to pray for somebody who's, who's using drugs or something. God, make them bottom out. You know, make them hit bottom so that they'll cry out to you and, and, and they'll want to repent and they'll, they'll want to turn around. I think it, it pays to, to be praying for somebody who's fooling around on a relationship. Uh, God, let them go to the end of this thing and find out how bad it can be. There's a man I know not too long ago left his wife and family for a woman like 25 years younger than him. And it wasn't long that she got tired of this old coot and threw him over and he's begging to come home doesn't hurt to pray that those kinds of things will happen. But don't nag. Don't, do, don't pressure. Don't do whatever. Just seek the Lord in the thing. And then here's the last one. Look at verse 12. It says, Do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. In other words, this is a summary of the whole Bible. Do for others what you would like them to do for you. Uh, treat people like you would like them to treat you. If you're married to somebody that's hard to be with, I mean, you may be sitting here tonight in church, you know, I've had several weeks during this series about what we've been talking about, dating and romance and marriage, and I've had guys come up to me and go, oh man, I can't believe it. my ribs are bruised tonight. My wife was sitting there, my girlfriend was sitting there going like this, you know, and uh, you know, you may be sitting there married to somebody or dating somebody or whatever, and you're going, how did I get stuck with this person? How did I get stuck with this person? What the Lord says is treat them in the way that you would really like to be treated. Because most of us have this thing, if we're in a losing relationship, if that person would only lighten up, then I would treat them like this. Well, then just treat them like that anyway. You ever hear this old saying from the South, it's, it's easier to catch flies with, with honey than it is with vinegar? If you're always demanding your rights, that's vinegar. If you're surrendering your rights and giving yourself away and 
treating a person with kindness. That's honey. It makes a difference. Is this... You get it? Now, this is a, this is a little bit different tonight. It's almost scholastic, this message. Huh? I mean, basically, it says, don't get yourself stuck joining with a non-believer if you're a believer because you're just going to create conflict. Then it says, if you're joined with a non-believer and you're a believer, we'll stay there and trust God to do something good in, in spite of the conflict that you're having. If they decide to leave you, then you're free. Go ahead and live your life. But otherwise, stay there and trust the Lord. And then this last little part is basically saying, if you're in a tough marriage, well, here's what you do. You don't, you don't sit around and judge. You don't sit around trying to cram religion down their throat. You pray. You seek the Lord. And you treat them with every bit of respect and dignity and kindness and mercy that you can muster. Because if you're willing to do that, God's willing to do something inside of them and make some changes, the kind of changes that you decide you desired all along. Does this make sense? Good, because I'm done. I can't believe we got out of church so early. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We've been reading it. And every little passage that we've looked at tonight is a nailer. And it grabs a hold of us, different ones of us in different ways, because we're all living different lives. But it's a nailer. And so, Lord, what we would like to do is embrace what we've read from your word and to say whatever part of it was that you spoke to us with, that your Holy Spirit said, this one's for you. And we want to say yes to you. Yes, Lord, I hear you. Yes, Lord, I understand you. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to walk in obedience to you in this area of my life. Lord, as we're sitting here, we may be thinking of somebody else that we know, and, and we're, we're in a fine relationship, or we're not in a relationship at all, or whatever. And we may be thinking of somebody we know that's, that's about to get married to somebody that, that's a non-believer, and, and, uh, and, and they're going to lose that person's respect. They're going to lose their chance of bringing that person to know you or, or make it a lot harder. And we need to pass along what we learned. Or we may know somebody that's just trying to weasel out of their marriage. And, and, and maybe our, you've put a message in our heart to pass on to that person about, hey, here's the deal. Here's, how, here's what God says. Here's His Word. Lord, we have faith. We don't look at any of this as a bunch of rules. We have faith that when we pray, you'll answer our prayers and you'll bring change about that needs to be brought about. And so, Lord, that's why we would submit to all this in the first place, because we think it's your words to us, and it'll make the world a better place, at least the one that we live in. And so we surrender our hearts to you tonight, in Jesus' name. Now keep your eyes closed, and there's a whole nother deal. What I'd like to do is, is, is this. I, I just want to summarize what this is all about. God says we all turned our back on him, and that's what he calls sin. Our attitude being, I'll live my life, I don't really need God. I'm, I'm running this show. That's sin. Not all the wrong things you did. Nobody's accusing you. It's simply that you said, God, you stay distant from me, and I'm happy. That's sin. But the Bible says an interesting thing. It says the wages of sin is death. It means that because we turned God away, we're going to be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. But it said God so loved the world that he sent his own son to come into the world so that he would lay his life down and die for us to take our punishment on himself. And if we would accept that act as an act of God's grace in our life, and an act by which God can forgive us, and God would forgive us for our sin, and He would accept us, and He would adopt us into His family, 
and we would live for it with him forever, beginning right in the here and now. And the weird thing is it's so simple. All you got to do is say yes to God. God, I want you. I want what you have for me. I want you. And he responds. The Bible says he's standing at the door of your life knocking, wanting to come in. And he says, if you'll open the door, he'll let you in. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to, I want you to pray the same prayer with me, but you pray silently. But if you're going to pray with me, I want you to tell me that we're praying together. The Bible says that we should acknowledge the Lord in front of other people and He'll acknowledge us to God in heaven. In other words, if we'll own up to Him, He'll own up to us. And if you look at me, I know you're saying, yes, I want to join you and I want to pray and I'll invite the Lord into my life. Look at me. I see one lady in the back looking up. And you, sir, and you, and you over here, another woman. And somebody else in the back, another guy. And looks like a couple over here on the side. And you, good. And your friend next to you, very good. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe.